Hi, my name's Alexia. This is Mikhail Hamilton. And I'm Sheree Arbello. And this is the Art in Full Flight episode on Winging It. Today, we're going to talk about bird songs. Specifically, we're going to talk and try to address where those beautiful songs from birds came from and how they translate into art. I'll address the first topic, Alexia. Think of it in this way. Birds singing to one another is their form of communication, just like talking is ours. Imagine if we couldn't use our voices. It would be really hard for humans to communicate without talking. So singing is a bird's equivalent to that. Oh, that makes sense. But what happened to birds over several hundred million years ago to evolve such complex songs? Well, the birds live in different habitat types. One song is usually favored over another, depending on the place they live. That's why each species needs its own distinct song. I never thought about it from that perspective. Could you give us some examples of different noises used in songs? Sure. Some of these noises can be described as trills, buzzes, rich, thin, harsh, bell-like, flute-like, whistling, or even metallic. This all really depends on the pitch, tone, and tempo of the bird. It sounds great and all, but how does this all come together to translate into different songs? Allow me to explain. So I first saw an article by Julia Hollingsworth posted in 2020 is that birds like to have their own dialects. They don't want to sing the same song as each other, but be unique. Sort of following up what Sherry said, they can easily be identifiable and by other bird species and attract, attract mates. This is accomplished by mixing and matching different combinations of the better noises mentioned earlier, while also keeping in mind their surroundings. It is also important to note that these songs are not only a product of learning, but can also be genetically determined. The category of birds that we are basically uncovering is that of Ocenes, who have complex songs that are learned. In contrast, we have sub-Ocenes, whose songs are much less complex and are innate or with them at birth. Mimicry is an example of Ocene's capability to learn and apply new songs. So you said that the combinations of noises are, are all different though. If that's true, then how does mimicry work? So mimicry throughout the ages has been an essential element to music as an art. When it's free jazz soloing or singing along with your favorite artists, we have infused mimicry in the manner that we express in music. Similarly, the mockingbird for many years was defined as being the greatest showman of this art, having no bounds or limits to what they can repeat. For many years, we assumed that they were open-ended learners. This meant that they could learn any song they saw fit. Could you imagine having that ability as a human? there would be no need to only sing in the shower every day would be musical stylings of angels. Wow, all of us would be amazing singers. Right, but the sad news is that it was recently discovered that mockingbirds can only mimic those birds that are closest to it in pitch and rhythm. Pitch is the musical context which refers to how low or high the frequency of a note is, while rhythm is the combination of long and short notes made a musical pattern. This drastically changed the way that these birds were perceived. It was noted in a study done by Professor Dave Gammon, who made it a mission to dedicate hours of observation and years of expertise to bring to our attention that mockingbirds tended to only mimic the Carolina wren, tuft, 
titmost blue jay, northern cardinal, and eastern bluebird. In contrast, birds like the morning dove have a lower frequency out of range of the mockingbird's capabilities. This is their Achilles heel, so to speak, the unforeseen limit to their abilities. Listen for yourselves. Wow, okay. That's sad, but really cool. Let's get back to the main topic at hand though. How does this all relate to art? We know music is art, but is that it? So this one's for me. So yeah, Sherry, music is art. Birds' songs definitely relate back to that. But you know what? There are so many poems and stories that actually use birds as a metaphor. Really? Are you talking about the Caged Bird book? Of course. And just to name a few more, you have John's Keep, O to the Nightingales, James Henry's Pigeons, Emily Dickinson's Hope, the width of feathers and their very famous autobiographies too which are just referring to i know why the cage bird sings by maya angelo wow i had no idea there was so much and this isn't even scratching the surface there's so much more songs about birds too such as blackbird by nia simone freebird by leonard skinnard rockin robin by bobby day and when doves cry by prince yeah i definitely remember listening to some of those growing up yeah so when we look at art and birds we think of them as one it becomes easy to see why they're so so much of an impact within the arts. When you look at birds and think of all the symbolisms and metaphors that you can use, the limits become endless. Definitely. I remember reading and analyzing why the caged bird sings in class on multiple occasions. Yeah, I think the book itself really has a lot of symbolisms and metaphors along with To Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee. Looking at Caged Bird by Maya Angelou is filled with powerful themes such as racial oppression, freedom and captivity, and happiness and sorrows all wrapped together. This poem is repeated to highlight the idea of a caged bird singing for freedom, and that metaphor is used to compare African Americans that are fighting for equality during the civil rights movement. But what does that have to do with actual birds? Well, to make the comparison of a caged bird to African Americans, it's simple. When you think of a bird, essentially you think of freedom because they're able to fly all over the world. You know, about 4,000 birds migrate throughout the seasons. Also, Life in captivity is often a death sentence for birds who may suffer from malnutrition, improper environment, loneliness, and the stress of wanting a companion. Also, as I said before, they're meant to fly all around the world, and if they're being trapped, that's not necessarily their environment they're used to. Confinement causes birds to have temper tantrums and mood swings. When you think of African Americans and the oppression they face, it becomes easy to see where this comparison comes from. By locking a bird in a cage, you remove that bird from their life of freedom, which essentially is how oppression is to African Americans and other races. Since we've been discussing mockingbirds, another book that also uses birds as symbols is To Kill a Mockingbird. The story touches on the theme of racism as it serves as the backbone while also displaying the theme of knowledge. Wait, so what does this novel have to do with a mockingbird anyways? So I read in an article that the title of To Kill a Mockingbird has very little to do with the literal connection of the plot but it does carry a great deal of symbolic weight. And this story is basically innocence destroyed by evil and that mockingbird comes to represent the idea of innocence and beauty Thus, to kill a mockingbird is essentially to destroy innocence. Okay, so how does the symbolism of a mockingbird in this novel mean for real mockingbirds? 
Well, in theory, mockingbirds are elegant, peaceful, and beautiful creatures. They don't really eat people's gardens, they don't nest in corn cribs, and they don't usually do anything other than sing for us. In addition to all of that, it's kind of illegal to kill one. The Migratory Bird Treaty Act of 1918 protects mockingbirds and all other migratory birds. They can't be killed, wounded, hunted, or harassed. So Harper Lee's To Kill a Mockingbird remains as important today as it was upon its initial publication in 1960 during the turbulent years of the Civil Rights Movement. It's Symbolic meaning goes a long way, and this is why African Americans should be treated fairly as though the mockingbirds as well should be protected. Hence why the novel calls it a sin to kill a mockingbird. So I don't know about you guys, but I learned a lot. I think that the takeaway from this episode is that birds really aren't just animals we see flying around. They really are a look into the past, literally and figuratively. And any person can see the symbolism in these creatures. Right, and birds have been used as symbols representing human life, the connection between heaven and earth, as well as good and bad omens. When birds are seen in dreams, they're good omens. They represent life, rebirth, intelligence, peace, hope, love, and so much more. Also, since mockingbirds seem to be the point of interest in this whole piece, it is important to know that mockingbirds are known for their ability to mimic everything from sirens to cricket and other bird noises. Scientists think they produce these copycat calls to show off for a potential mate. The animals also belt out songs unique only to mockingbirds. Because of this, mockingbirds are very unique and that's why many poems and artists use them to use influence. Very true. With all that being said, we're going to close out right here and soak in all this information about our past history in the arts and come back another time to learn some more. That sounds good. This is Alexia. I'm Mikhail Hamilton. And my name is Sheree Arbello, and we are signing off of today's episode for the Winging It season. Thank you for listening.